so today it marks our, uh, our 21 days of prayer and fasting begins, okay? And uh, I want to encourage you guys, if you haven't got a booklet and you haven't decided to uh, step into that, I want to encourage you to step into that. Uh, you can find those booklets at the next steps if you don't have one. And they're available to you. If you saw, if you started today, today's the first day. If you haven't got one yet, start tonight. Um, but I started this morning. And in, this, in our first scripture, it says, focus on the realities of heaven. I don't know what realities you face in 2020, what you're looking at right now, but for some of us, 2020 can seem pretty big. And the thing that, that got me thinking about the realities of heaven this morning as I, as I thought about that verse, I thought about heaven being here so long before me. And then I thought the reality of heaven is going to be eternal, so it's beyond me. And then all of a sudden, you know what began to happen, the realities of my 2020? Begin to seem a lot smaller. Isn't that true? Do you, anybody remember the realities that you faced in 2010? Anybody? Some of y'all can, maybe. I remember thinking as I was a college student, I remember, I look back and I'm thinking like 15 years ago. It's awesome. I feel super old. So think about the days when I'm running to get to my final exam. I'm like, my life's over. Like, it's just gonna, it's gonna be done today. You might remember that moment where you're like, it's actually finishing this year. My life is done. I remember those moments, but now I look back and I'm, I made it. I made it through corporate finance, y'all. Like, come on now. Barely, but I made it. I got you, girl. She's doing it. <laughs> we make it. And as we think about the realities of heaven, sometimes what is the reality that we're focused on? And so this, this morning, it was just such a cool picture as I thought about the realities of heaven. And it transforms the way I view my day. And the reason that we do these 21 days of prayer and fasting, so you know, studies show that if you do something for 21 days, it forms a habit. And so we want to put before us as we start 2020, creating brand new habits for our life. But here's the deal. As I started a habit this morning, my alarm went off a little bit earlier this morning. You know what I felt like? I don't want to do this. You know why? Because when I start a brand new habit, that means old habits got to die. There's a new season for stuff. And so we want to pull people into brand new seasons. And if you failed this morning already, I said, don't worry. Come on now. Start tonight. And then, and then pick it back up the next day. This is a part of the journey of discovery as we step in and challenge one another to actually see God do really, really cool things in 2020. But I believe it's going to require a little bit of consistency. So let's press in that together and experience together but consider the realities of heaven this morning. And as we worship today, the reality of heaven is worshiping with you today. Such a cool picture as you step in on every Sunday. You're like, I'm joining heaven, let's go. And tomorrow we're gonna to join heaven as we sing songs in our car and before we start our, our day. So I encourage you, just step into that 21 days and create a rhythm for your life. Watch how consistency begins to cause result to happen. Like you go in the gym, you gotta be consistent to see result. Same exact way as our spiritual walk. You gotta see results, you gotta stay consistent. So, past couple of weeks, let's, let's bring it in now. We've been talking about this church of Thessalonica, right? And Paul talks about this church being one that turned the world upside down. Acts 17, when, this, when the gospel actually travels to the place of Thessalonica, the leaders of this city go to the, to the government officials and they say, hey, listen, this message that is turning the world upside down has come to your city. What are you going to do about it? They force Paul out of the city of Thessalonica and he writes them a letter several months later. So think about this. The gospel shows up, and then a movement happens about six months later. Six months later, the world is being turned upside down through a church 
who decides to put their faith into practice, take it seriously. And it begins to reshape an unknown world, a country called Greece. Here's what he says in 1 Thessalonians 1, 6 through 7. He says, church, you have become imitators of us and the Lord. So listen, y'all are starting to put into practice our lifestyle. And guess where our lifestyle came from? The Lord. So we just passed it on. We just handed it down. You guys have become imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction. That means your circumstances were challenging, but you heard this good news. You received it and you said, this is worth everything. I'm putting it into practice. You received it with the joy of the Holy Spirit so that you became an example. Underline that word example. We're going to come back to it at the end today and and we're going to understand this word a little bit. You became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. The word uh, example is the Greek word tupon. It's a fascinating word. And we're going to explain this at the end, so remember this word. The word tupon means to be marked with a blow. I think about it like this. Uh, I don't know if anybody, if you guys were bullied, maybe in middle school or whatever it was, if you guys experienced bullies. Maybe you were the bully. And uh, when, you, when you're bullied, you remember it was day after day after day. So imagine you're being bullied. And it's day after day after day. One day you look at the bully and you say, listen, do it tomorrow and I'm knocking you out, right? I'm, I'm just, I'm done. Ready? Next day shows up, what happens? He ain't backing down, so you better not either. So what do you do? Boom. He comes back to school the next day and he's got a big old black eye. So what happens the next day? He ain't gonna mess with you. And all of a sudden, everybody had known that you were being picked on. But now everybody knows you ain't the one to be messed with, right? So what does this black eye serve as? It serves as this mark that proves what you can do. So there's this walking example of what happens when you get messed with. So ain't nobody messing because they're going, look at what happened. Look at that. And so it's this idea, it's, it's kind of a, a cheesy example of understanding what this idea, when he says you become imitators of us, you've been marked. And people recognize you based upon the marks that you bear. That's what this word tupon means. And here's the marks that Paul points us to. Guys, and, and here's what we're going to join into in 2020. These three marks that we want to be marked by in 2020 to see the gospel move all through our community. And if you'll press in, I promise you, you'll begin to see a move of God's spirit around you. The first thing is we talked about last week, the work of faith. This idea that my faith actually becomes life and it begins to weave and move inside of how I work. It transforms the way I work. The second thing is your labor of love. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. This idea of labor of love. And the third thing is our steadfastness of hope. Our steadfastness of hope. As we step in and understand labor a little bit, this word labor of love, so you understand, is not just talking about work and you see results inside the word. The same word is used in Luke 5, 5, when Jesus is teaching to the large crowds. And then all of a sudden, uh, he sees a boat and he steps into this boat, a guy named Simon Peter, and they're over there cleaning their nets because they've been fishing all night, is what the scripture says. As they fished all night, Jesus is preaching. He finishes preaching and he looks at Peter and the guys and he says, hey, listen, 
Take your nets and go out to the deep part of the ocean and throw in and you're going to get a big catch. This is what he says. He says, Master, we have toiled all night and we haven't caught a thing. But because you tell me so, I'll go do this. So here's, here's the idea of what it looks like to work. It's this idea of toil. It's, a, it's an idea of sweat and blood. It's idea of fighting through some things that aren't feeling super fun. Like we talked about last week, the curse is thorns and thistles. The idea of labor is that you are working through and beyond thorns and thistles to see things grow up from that place. Same exact concept that this idea is talking about when it's talking about the word labor. We're fighting through to actually see something come to fruition. Webster defines a labor of love like this. A labor voluntarily undertaken or performed without consideration of any benefit or reward. What's the example of the labor of love that Paul, Silas, and Timothy, as they write Thessalonians, saw and received and then modeled for them? What is this thing that they're talking about? What is the example that they set that the others imitated and began to bear the same marks? Let's find that out today. 1 Thessalonians 2 is where we find this answer. And it's in verse 7 through 9. And then we're going to step in and go to 12. Verse, verse 7 says, But we were gentle among you. Here's the example they set. We were gentle among you. Like a nursing mother. This is what it looks like to, to be a labor of love. Like a nursing mother. Taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, so we weren't just talking, but also ourselves. I desired for you so badly that I didn't just tell you something, I gave you my life that you would see it. It's the same idea of a nursing mother. I desire for that baby to grow up in such a way I will give up my life so that they can have life. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. There it is. Our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. We worked alongside of you so that you saw the gospel and didn't just hear it. First thing that we recognize today as the labor of love that's going to transform, I believe, this city and beyond is a labor of love is word and deed. It's important. Word and deed. A lot of focus gets put on deeds, right? And we say, uh, words don't matter as much as deeds. I promise you, in this case, they're both the same. Many of us cop out as we labor in love alongside somebody and yet never speak of the good news for which we are laboring. This is a miss. And you never see this modeled in, in the early church by the apostles. They are never just laboring alongside you, not telling you the good news. They're always laboring, giving up their life so that you experience what they're talking about. But they're always speaking the good news. So we can never remain silent about the good news. What is the good news? We understand this. It is separate from any other religion in this world. The good news is this, that God has come to you. Every other religion is going to give you a way to get to God. Christianity is the only one where God comes to you. He came in the, as a man, Jesus. And he paid a penalty for our wrongs, our misses. We miss the mark. So how do you write the mark? How can you make yourself right today? Can you improve to a place where God's finally going to be like, oh, finally, you're starting to do it better. I'll accept you now. Most of my life, I believe that. And at times, I still want to believe that, to be honest with you. 
But the good news is this, that Jesus paid the price. He won a victory and he said, it's absolutely finished. Now you know what you deserve and I'm going to hand you the free gift of my favor. God in heaven gives you favor because Jesus actually accomplished and won a victory. Now he goes, you've got favor. Now I'm going to call you into favor in a lifestyle that's a little bit different. It's going to transform you. This is the progression. Receive the love of God and let it reshape your life. So it reshapes the way we work. It reshapes the way I labor. It reshapes my focus because you know what? I'm going to worry about me anymore. I'm okay. So a labor of love consists of words and deeds. Both go hand in hand and they can't be separated from one another. He steps down and here's how he continues. After he talks about being a mother and how I give my life up for you that you might understand the gospel. He steps into verses 11 and 12. He says, for you know how like a father. So check out the picture he's painting for us. As you understand a labor of love, he's painting this picture. You are children and we are like parents to you. In the same way, we were like children and Jesus was like a parent to us. He showed us the way. And for thousands of years now, this has just progressed down the line to us today. So I want to encourage you. This is available to you. You can actually step into this kind of lifestyle. It will transform you and everyone around you. This is what you were designed for. Like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charge you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. These words are very, very important. The word exhorted actually means to encourage or press onward, press beyond where you are. So like a good father, here's what a good father is going to do. He's going to push you beyond the place that you thought you could get to, right? Here's what a bad father is going to do, only that. The next word says, here's what's going to happen. When you are pressed into something that you find is difficult, what begins to happen? Should I continue this? Should we keep going? You know what I mean? Like, I don't know about this. I, Dad, are you sure about this? I'm not sure. I need to. The word encouraged, the next word is encouraged. It means to be comforted. So he's going to meet you in your place of discomfort. And he's going to come alongside you and go, hey, I know what you're feeling. Because you know why I know what you're feeling? You're not crazy. I've been there. Hey, it's okay. That's why I love Jesus because he has experienced everything we've experienced and he can sympathize is what the scripture says. So he comes to us in our places of experience. He goes, hey, I remember that. And he brings to mind the good news. He brings to mind the promises. He brings to mind those stories. But a good father is going to push you beyond what you ever thought you could go. But he's going to meet you right at the point of affliction. He's going to go, hey, I'm with you. I remember this. I got you. Now let's keep going. You good? You ready? And you get comforted. You go, all right, we can do this. And then guess what? We go to the next step, you know? The next word is just as important. The third word is to be charged. It's this, it's this idea of being urged forward or pushed beyond or let go. Charged you. A labor of love doesn't have an end, but it does have a sin date. Super important as we walk with others in this labor of love idea. A labor of love does never has an end date. So I'm never finished with you. Unless you want to be finished. Unless you want to walk away, just like the prodigal. You can walk away. That's the only way. I'm, I'm never giving up on you. It doesn't have an end date, but it does have a sin date. And here's some of the myths. Can you imagine... 
uh, being 45, 50, and you still waking up every single day, your mom comes in the rooms, hey, uh, time to wake up. Come wake up, sweetie. I got breakfast on the table for you. And you can come on down whenever you're ready. Come on down. Just get your little shower. Come on down. Rise and shine. That's what my mom used to say. I'm like, I hate that. It's not a good day. I'm tired, man. You know, sweet little mama Jen. She's so sweet. Holy. Can you imagine that, though? 45 and 50, that would be happening? Can you imagine not having a time where you said, hey, listen, everything that I've told you and encouraged you onward, I'm going to now send you out to go be a blessing to the world. It'd be crazy. But in the church, for some reason, I think some of us, like an ill parent, we, we love uh, feeling needed. And so we keep you with us. And I think that's the illness in a lot of the churches today. I want you to come here. You got to come back. Come on back. We're not going to measure our gathering capacity. We're going to measure our sending capacity. Come on now. That's not what we're going to be measured by. Yeah, invite a friend, but my prayer is that you actually told them the gospel before they hear it from me. Come on now. And if they haven't heard it from, if they haven't heard from you and you invite them to hear it from me, you know what that does to somebody? Why don't you care enough to tell me that? <laughs> I want to be the second person to tell them. I want to be the second person to reach them. He sent us out from this place to go reach them. And then we're going to send you out once you start beginning to walk and feed and you understand how to feed others healthy in a healthy way. So this is how we're going to measure our success here. We're going to be sending, and that's everything that we want to be a part of, and that's exactly what they were doing in this passage. He was saying, like a father, I encouraged you, I pushed you a little bit further than you ever wanted to go, I encouraged you in the place, and then I sent you out. We're going to be sent people. And I want you to understand that this isn't just for this church. Do you understand this is meant to be the design for you today? This is meant to be yours. And you say, oh, I don't know about that. I'm not sure. I want to encourage you. If that's you, that's okay. I want to encourage you just stay on the journey. Stay on the journey. And step in to understand even further what his design is for your life and how it's meant to be. In order to understand even more about the context of how important that this is what we're talking about. you got to look back a little bit into 1 Thessalonians 2. Where did Paul come from when he stepped into Thessalonica? 1 Thessalonians verse 2, he says, But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much affliction. So here's what Paul's stepping out of. He stepped into Thessalonica, coming from a place called Philippi, where he was also beaten, bruised, thrown out. My natural person, y'all, if that happens to me and I'm doing what God called me to do, I want to go to the next city. I don't want to experience that again. I don't want to feel that. Do you know why some of us don't have two and three kids? It's because the experience of the first. Right? Like, I don't want to go through the first. I went through that one. I'm good. Like, only two. It's the same exact way as we walk with in, a, in a labor of love with people. Some of us never step into somebody else's life because of an experience with the one before them. It's hard. It's painful. I don't want to feel the pain of walking with somebody. I don't want to feel that labor. I don't want to feel the hurt. I don't want to get stabbed in the back anymore. 
And I just want to tell you, if that's you today, understand at the deepest level. But I'm so glad that Jesus doesn't do that for us. I'm so glad that he never stops. I'm so glad that he meets us right in our place of weakness. So how did Jesus do that? No, sorry, the third thing, as we think about that, a labor of love is compelled by a soul, not a circumstance. I'm not compelled by the circumstance of my previous experience. It doesn't shade or reshape how my next experience is going to be with you. What does is a soul, as I understand the truth, that God has loved my soul, so i got to press in and love you. And what an honor. It's not a burden, it's actually a freedom. As I receive the love of God, it's a freedom to go give it away. That's where I draw my life from, not the circumstance of walking with anyone else. And if you're looking for life from walking with somebody else, think about this picture. Can you imagine parents waking up saying, I wonder what my two-year-old is going to do for me today? Think about that for a second. I wonder what he's going to do for me today. Nothing, by the way. (laughs) Absolutely nothing. In fact, he's going to wake me up in all hours of the night and it's going to hack me off. And I'm going to wake up and I'm going to, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to bless him by giving him breakfast. In fact, I'm like, y'all going to wake up tomorrow. like, you're not eating now. You woke me up all night, right? I can't do that. Why do we think we can do that with people? But for some reason, it shifts in our mind and we say, what are you going to do for me? And if I'm not getting something from you, I can't continue to walk with you. It's an easy temptation to say, man, it's just too much but I'm looking to get life from a two-year-old. I can't do that. I'll fall short every single time, and in fact, I'll stop feeding them in the morning, if I do. (laughs) It's the labor of love. I love that kid, and I know what's available to him, and I know where he's going, and I know where she's headed. So I'm going to give up my life to see that come to fruition because I love them. That's a love given to you by God. So here's the example of Jesus. In one example, in one example, I could talk about every story of Jesus and explain all that we're talking about today. But there's one conversation where Jesus reveals this labor of love heart. And it's toward the end of Jesus' ministry in life when he's about to be crucified. And he's talking to his disciples and he looks at Simon Peter and he says this in Luke 22. He says, Simon, Simon, behold, listen, Satan has demanded that he have you. I don't quite understand the dialogue between Satan and God. I have no idea. But Satan has come and demanded that I have, let me deal with him. He's demanded that he sift you like wheat. That means crush you and grind you down and let you watch your life blow in the wind because he's nothing. You've called him a rock. I'll show you that he's just wheat to be sifted out. That's what Satan's saying. Here's what Jesus does. He says, but, but I have prayed for you that your faith might not fail. Like a mother I've stepped right in to the problem, the pain, and I've gone, but I've met you in your weakness and I've prayed for you that you would not fail. I've met you right there. And when you have turned again, he says, strengthen your brothers. What's he talking about? Turning for what? I know that's Peter's question for him. So he says, I'm prepared to die with you. I'm I'm going all the way. I'll go to prison and death with you. Jesus looks at me and says, I'm going to tell you the truth. Before this night's over, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. Jesus knew that. 
And yet he stepped in knowing that Satan wanted to sift him like wheat, crush him down, grind him down. He deserved that, right? The temptation for Jesus might have been like, yeah, have him, man. <laughs> Good luck. No, I've stepped right in there and I've prayed that you wouldn't fail. And when you've turned again, I love that idea. It's always a hope for the people we walk with. There's always a hope when you've turned again. I want to give you a charge like a father. Turn and strengthen the people around you. Some of us have stayed in the place of defeat today. Some of us are living in defeat. Some of us are living in the brokenness. And we've convinced ourselves that I have nothing to give. And I promise you, you don't, but Christ does. And if he were to enter you, you have plenty to give. Give it away. But you've got to draw life from the one who actually gives life. This is what Peter learned later in life. See, he was trying to do it on his own power and he couldn't. So when he received the grace of God right where he was, so right where you are, you know your failure, you, you know your miss. Receive the goodness of God. Receive it. Receive it. Have it. Have it. It's free. Come to Jesus and receive what you want, what you need. It's his love. This is what you've been looking for. And when you've received it, when you've decided to say, I'm going to turn my life and I'm going to do something different, go strengthen your brothers. Go strengthen people around you. This is the call on your life, your life, your life, your life. Not just mine. It's yours, yours, yours. Have it. Go. Go. You don't need years of mentorship. Six months, the world turned upside down just because the good news went to action. Six months. Some of y'all living in fear. You want somebody to help you? Great. Grab somebody. Ask them to help you. But this was turned around in six months. Come on now. You can go. Jesus' labor of love for you wasn't just word, it was deed. Make this personal, it's for you. It wasn't just word, it was deed. Jesus' labor of love for you never has an end date. Jesus' labor of love was compelled by your soul, not the circumstance that he lived in. That's for you today. That's you, make it personal, it's for you. After Jesus died, was crucified, buried, Mary Magdalene, the women, they go to the tomb. They find that it's open and empty, right? They go back to report all that they had seen, remember? They go to these guys and they say, listen, <laughs> Jesus is gone. He raised. This is what Thomas says. Remember, Thomas? He said, unless I see the marks, same word means the two pawns in his hands, I will not believe Unless I see the two pawns in his hands and his feet, unless I touch them, I will not believe. And I promise you, I promise you, the people around you today are saying, unless I see the example, what's this whole scripture saying? You have become the marks of Christ. You've become the example. Do you know what the example is? Your faith moved to action. Your love was a labor that you stayed in and you labored with people. And you had a steadfast hope for the future. You have become the marks of Christ. This is what turned the world upside down. You became an example. And Timothy's of the world all around you, the doubting ones, I won't believe unless I see the marks. And I say good. They shouldn't. Because the power of God is meant to transform our lives, and it will if you allow it. But it requires a surrender. It requires you putting your hand on a cross and saying, do it. I'm in. 
No longer I who live, but Christ in me. In the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who gave his life for me. That's the life we were called in to live. And if you want to experience real life, give up your life and you'll find life. I, can't, I can only bring you right to the edge of water and say, you can drink it if you want it. You looking for real life? Come to Jesus. He will give you life today. But it's not until you let go of your life that you will find life. It's right in that place. So if you're here today uh, and you need to surrender and you need to trust Jesus, uh, just as an actor, surrender right where you are. Nobody, you just, just do this. Just open your hands to him and receive. Just tell him, Jesus, I understand that you paid a price I can't pay. I need your forgiveness. I need your love. I need your life. I let go of mine and I receive yours. Now, for those of us in the room who don't need that aspect, would you ask the Holy Spirit to tell you who in your life needs your love today? Who in your life needs your love today? Who is it? Now, would you ask God for the confidence and the courage to step into that person's life and actually make a difference? Not just to talk the difference, to speak the difference, but to be a difference. Invite the Holy Spirit to begin doing work that you can't do. Lord, in this room today, there's people on everyone's minds. Here's what we're asking together. In 2020, we pray for a movement of your spirit in Knoxville that transforms this city and beyond. Lord, I know this is possible. I know this is available to us. Now give us the courage to actually step in and love the people that are right around us, right in front of us. God, we've been asking you for a move and you're saying, why don't you move? I'm with you, I'm in you, I'm for you. Now move and expect me. Might we move by faith? Might we give away love as you've given to us? Now, Lord, here's what I'm also asking for the people that are on our minds. Would you begin to draw them to you? We can't conjure this. We can't force it. But God, you can begin a work. So we're just going to begin faithfully praying for them every day. Father, call them. Call them. Call them. Call them. I'm available. Use me. Use me. Use me. And in the perfect moment, I pray that we would see our opportunity just to reveal your love, to give our life away, that they might receive love and experience it. This is our prayer for 2020, Father, that we would walk, some, walk with somebody else and then send them off to walk with another. And I believe and I know that this is the way that your movement has continued on for thousands of years and it will continue on till, the, till eternity. Thank you for trusting us, for calling us to strengthen our brothers. And thank you for the nail marks in your hands. Thank you for the opportunity to join you in that, in that life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.